Hello, and welcome to Talk Pharmacy to Me. Thank you for choosing to listen to Talk Pharmacy to Me. My name is Jamie Anderson, and I'll be your host today. And today, we're going to talk about State Pharmacy Association. Welcome back. Today, I have Brenna Clark with me with the Mississippi Pharmacy Association. She's the executive director, and we're going to talk to her today and get some insight about what exactly associations do and um, what what they have going on and what they do in the with the future of pharmacy. So, Brenna, welcome. Thank you, Jamie. I'm really excited to, to be on the this call today. Well, good, good, good. Um, I, I'm going to get get into asking you several questions and to help us learn a little bit about associations. But let's start off. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What what is what is your connection to pharmacy, and kind of how did you develop a passion for pharmacy? Absolutely. So I am not a pharmacist, actually. Um, as the executive director of the association, I went to law school. But I did grow up in a family pharmacy in McGee, Mississippi. My grandfather was a pharmacist. My mother and uncle, several cousins are. I just somehow missed that boat. But (laughs) after graduating law school, um, you know, my mother gets the last laugh because I found myself in Washington, D.C., working in lobbying and advocacy for a national trade association that represented generic and biosimilar manufacturers. And I found myself always working in coalitions throughout the states with pharmacists, whether it be from the chain pharmacies or community pharmacists or the local pharmacy associations in those states. Um, That led me to a job lobbying and doing advocacy for Walgreens. And then when this position became available at MPHA, and I was living off in New York City at that time, when this position became available, um, it just seemed like a dream job. You know, my grandfather was president of the association in the 70s. Um, I grew up watching people come to him and calling him Dr. Gene and asking (laughs) him what they should do before they went to the doctor and really seeing how he just um, his patients looked at him and how he just was uh, able to counsel them and talk to them and really took a caring um, hand with them. And that's, to me, what pharmacy always was and pharmacists always did. So it's an easy uh, it's an easy profession for me to advocate for because I truly believe in all the things and the importance of this profession. And now my mom, like I said, gets the last laugh. I didn't... Um, go to pharmacy school, but isn't she's my boss now. One of my members, she's one of my bosses. So right. um, it's very easy for me to love this profession after watching it up close for all these years. So the idea was, let's move back home. I'd been gone for 15 years from Mississippi, but let's move back home and take what I've learned in all these other states and see if we can affect some change here with this um, profession that I feel so strongly about supporting and their, their importance. Wow, that's that's awesome. You have that that deep family connection too, because I think that's important. Because um, you can see, kind of from the the side of the of the pharmacist, uh, even though you're not a pharmacist, and that's that's a great vision. And I know your mom is a practicing pharmacist, so you can kind of still see uh, that aspect of it. And I think we need that. One of the things I think is awesome about about your uh, experience is that you do you're not just 
bringing a Mississippi mindset. You're bringing a national mindset because you've seen Washington D.C., New York, and uh, so your 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 view is very broad. And I think that that is also something we need because sometimes we get hemmed in uh, to you know being a Mississippi pharmacist, and and sometimes we we are short sighted. So I think that's an awesome part uh, about your experience, and I uh, I think it brings a lot you know, to, to our state. So tell me how many pharmacists that we have in, in the state and how many are actually a part of the association? Yes, absolutely. So there are three around 3,300 licensed active pharmacists living in the state of Mississippi. Now okay. there's about twice that many who are licensed within the state than they live elsewhere. But when we talk about just Mississippi pharmacists, it's around 3,300. And we are at about 750 members in the association. Um, Now, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, my plan is obviously for massive growth. But we know that associations all over the country have had diminishing um, or lower membership rates over the past few years. Um, You know, associations have to do a better job of explaining what they do and why it's important for these new, especially the younger generations to understand why they should, you know, put their, invest their money in something and join and um, sign up to spend time doing one more thing. So uh, I think that associations all around the country are wondering how they bridge that gap. But then you look at some of our neighbors, Alabama and Tennessee, and they have incredibly strong, large associations. And so I'm leaning on their executive directors a lot to figure out how they've built that so that we can replicate that here in Mississippi. Sure. sure. Excellent. Well, and, and, you know, part of part of our goal today is is to get, you know, your message across as far as what 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 the associations do and um how you know pharmacists can benefit and you know it is an investment and how that what kind of return on investment because you know this day and time everything's about about return on investment so um so let's talk about those that that haven't joined that 2600 2700 people that are practicing in the state that that haven't joined or haven't renewed memberships in recent years so talk a little bit about why why you think they should join or what the benefits that the pharmacists receive that they may not know about? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And there are definitely benefits that are kind of standard in any associations, whether it be access to free CEs, you know, uh, social outings or discounts to our um, meetings where you can get your CEs or the convention, um, district meetings, those sort of things. But I think the most important thing and the thing that we probably, MPHA hasn't done the best job of explaining or sharing the successes with are the fact that you're going to get a voice in the Capitol in Jackson and you're going to get a voice um, in the Capitol in D.C. and you're going to have a lobbyist who's working for you. And that's my background. I've been a lobbyist since graduating from law school. Um, and we all, I think every pharmacist throughout the country is concerned about the future of the profession, is sure. concerned about not only, you know, reimbursement, DIR, but also burnout and overworking and, you know, where, and, and pharmacy schools and too many pharmacists or the feeling is they're being graduated right now. And so there's a lot of concerns. And at the end of the day, a lot of the answers to this lie within not federal legislation, and a lot of people don't understand that so much happens at the state level. And so, you know, 
pharmacists usually don't understand the advocacy pathways. They don't know how to lobby or what they should be doing. And because of that, they're not always at the table. And so you have other professions maybe dictating your limits of what you can do. Look at nurse practitioners and see how they've been able to evolve what they are able to do. And that's all based on lobbying. And so what we one of the biggest benefits is that I'm a registered lobbyist in the state and that I plan on being at the Capitol every single day. We have kind of a fresh slate this year, even though some of the same faces have been you know, re-elected to different um, statewide right. offices, but they've Absolutely. also moved around. We, we have a new lieutenant governor. We're having some changes in the leadership and the House and the Senate, people moving into different roles. And that gives us a great opportunity to come in and speak to who we are and what we do and also what we need and start building those relationships. But it also, on top of me just doing the lobbying, I mean, there are other associations who have lobbyists as well, but we also need to teach you pharmacists out there, you know, how to advocate for your profession as well. Everybody who, every elected official gets their drugs filled somewhere, right? right. Oh, yeah. So you potentially, every, you know, potentially you have a shot to really impact and tell your story on a one-on-one level. But how would you know if you've never been taught? And that's one of the things that we're taking. We have a government affairs committee that we're taking very seriously to not only free up my time to allow me to go down and lobby, but also to educate our membership on what you can do as well so that we don't all sit here and read these headlines every day about pharmacies closing and counties going without pharmacies and pharmacists unable to find jobs, that maybe we can actually change the dialogue because we're moving the needle on what pharmacists can do and protecting their ability to do that by working on PBM legislation and reining, you know, some of those bad practices in. So I think that's the number one benefit. And um, the beauty of me is that I've done this in other states and other states have been successful in a lot of these areas. So, you know, you know, borrowing from our success stories in the past and bringing them down to Jackson and seeing if we can do something in this session to make a difference. Right, right. Well, and you know, I think, I think one of the things we this profession has been so lucky, so privileged for so many years to be in positions that that we didn't need as much lobbying, or we felt like we didn't need as much um, because we didn't have the issues that we do now. So I think we got, to be honest with you, as pharmacists, we got lazy, you know. Because we sat back, everything was going great. There was more jobs than than there were pharmacists. Um, Reimbursement was much better than it is now. Of course, you always think it's terrible no matter where you are, but it's it's continued to decline and with the DIR. So I think we're in a situation now that we've kind of sat around uh, in a lot of ways and let other professions, like you said, uh, other uh, entities dictate what we do and now we're trying to catch up. So, um, I, and I think that's one thing we miss as pharmacists, the importance of lobbying, the importance of, of, of the elected officials. I recently had a chance to speak with, um, uh, the gentleman who was elected, uh, Lieutenant governor and just briefly spoke to him about pharmacy, told him I was a pharmacist. And, um, you know, it was, it was nice just to talk to him and briefly, you know, he said, well, how's pharmacy going? Well, he gave me a, an open door to talk a little sure. bit about, you know, uh, what issues we may be having. And somewhere down the line, that conversation may come back to him. 
and benefit us at some point. So, um, And I can tell you, Jamie, absolutely it will come back and benefit because I think that we, as, a, as, a, as Americans as a whole or Mississippians as a whole, but especially pharmacists, need to realize we have a part-time legislature here. So that means they all have other full-time jobs, right? We do right. have one pharmacist in the legislature, Representative Reed from the coast, and he's a fantastic advocate, but there's 143, I'm not even getting that number wrong, but very similar others who probably have no idea about a pharmacist. They didn't grow up in a pharmacy like I did, or they, they, you know, they don't understand all these acronyms because they have to be, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep on so many topics. They're, they're, they're legislating on everything out there. So, you know, if the 3,300 pharmacists in this state aren't constantly telling their story about what's going on to these elected officials, who's going to do it? Right, right. And so, you know, that's – oh, you go on. Well, you know, I was just going to say, and, and that's something that I've never thought about, honestly, is um, – and I think it's a great idea to educate us, to give us a little insight about maybe the issues that we – when we encounter one of the elected officials, because we all do, you know, in the pharmacy I work in, I have local uh, elected officials. Uh, I'm not in the Jackson area, so I don't see the state representatives uh, as much, but um, we do have the an opportunity to impact, and what do we do? So I think that's a great idea, and um, maybe we can... Um, maybe we can we can find a way an education you know avenue that that we can uh, teach pharmacists to actually impact because I, I again I've been a pharmacist for over twenty five years and really uh, over a lot of parts of that have been just lazy have just you know everything's been great so we just rock on so well uh, you know it's you're one of the most respected and trusted professions out there right when they do that when they, there's always a survey that comes sure. out yeah, pharmacists yeah. are like right at the top. I mean, I'm a lawyer and a lobbyist. I'm right at the bottom. So, you know, when you come from this profession, and you, re- you it's a little different attitude about how people view you. And so it has never, like you said, never been a problem or probably a concern. Y'all just want to do your job, take care of your patients, you know, go on and live your life. And then, like you said, all of a sudden you realize that you have to maybe advocate and fight for where you are. But MPHA is going to be putting together not only like talking points that pharmacists can use, because it's also a lot, you know, we have a lot of people, I work with the um, students at both of the schools as well. as to like as how teaching kind of how to advocate and what to say, but we have a lot of members and just pharmacists in general who are like, I just don't know what to say or how to do this. And it's scary. I understand. Hmm. And y'all are very precise, scientific people and you need to know, but that's why, but that's what I'm here for. Cause that's the stuff that I do. So we're going to put together a kit of how to have a a store visit because these representatives and senators, these local ones, I mean, I've Congress too, but obviously our local representatives, they are home all the time. There's no reason they can't stop by your store. And they love that stuff. 15 minutes, take a picture with you. They can tweet about it. And then you get 15 minutes of one-on-one time to explain what's going on. And so we're going to be working on those materials to help the pharmacists all across the state Excellent. Do this basic advocacy, this grassroots work, and that will only help us. We go speak. These people hopefully will have had a visit or outreach from somebody in their in their constituency, which is so important, and be able to connect that what I'm doing is helping the people they've already talked to, and that makes it very powerful. Excellent. Sure, sure, sure. Let me switch gears with you just a little bit for a second. 
you know, pharmacy is going through big changes. We've seen in all areas of it, some I've seen more on the retail side. So what do you and the, and the association, what do you see for the future of pharmacy? What, what avenue is it headed in? Um, what, from your aspect, what, what does our future look like? Absolutely. And unfortunately, a lot of these also depend on where it's headed depends on how much advocacy and work you can do to change your pharmacy practice act within your state with, you know, which tells you what you can and can't do. Right. right. So we know that our, our pharmacists um, are, can practice at a much higher level than maybe they're even able to can perform certain tests. Obviously vaccines are, are seeing something that didn't really exist 25 years ago in pharmacy and look at them now and how much they're utilized. So I think that pharmacists have to, the future of pharmacy is going to have to be changing that payment model Mm -hmm. and moving away from a reimbursement, which um, from just like a a concerned about reimbursement and numbers of, of drugs that you fill a day and moving towards more cognitive services. But obviously that's the big chicken and the egg. How are you going to have time to do cognitive services if you can't get reimbursed for them? And then who's going to reimburse you if you don't have the ability to do it? So I think it's pharmacists and certain states are already doing this, which is making it easier to tell the story. I mean, we have, you know, provider status in three states right now for pharmacists, Washington, Tennessee, and Ohio. We have states doing, uh, pharmacists doing amazing things in Idaho and Kentucky. They're able to test and treat for certain um, for certain illnesses, you know, whether it be a, a rapid flu test and then prescribing Tamiflu. Right. Uh, so there are certain ways to expand the scope of what you're allowed to do but while allowing you also to practice the top of your field. And I think that pharmacists are going to need to get the legislation passed and working with the, with the, uh, re- the payers on how to get that done so that we can move away from that you're at a store that needs to fill a thousand scripts a day to make your quota. Right. And this also would make your life more enjoyable. I mean, I think the sh- pharmacists are definitely the most underutilized part of healthcare while being the most accessible. Right. Um, there are so many things that can be done. Um, and I, we just have to change our mindset that it's not going to go back to how it used to be. And that's hard. Oh, and that's yeah. difficult. And people, you know, I think that a lot of people hold on to, let's just get the reimbursements back where they were, but we see the future and, we have fighting these humongous PBMs and third-party payers groups is incredibly difficult. So let's stop, you know, playing defense all the time and play some offense, especially in a state like Mississippi that needs as many healthcare providers as possible. We have a great story to tell and a lot of, a lot of room that we can do um, to expand what pharmacists are currently allowed to do that would help and benefit the rest of the, of the state very much. So I think we have to change our mindsets work together, advocate, and start making small little um, incremental changes. Whether, I mean, I think, you know, being able to do the naloxone is a fantastic, uh, you know, example of right. how maybe yeah. you don't get provider status at one at one fell swoop, but maybe we work on being able to prescribe smoking cessation. And, you know, 11 states out there are doing contraception, oral contraception. And so starting to chip away and being able to fill the gaps in some of those areas so that it just sort of organically grows into the fact that pharmacists become a provider. Right. Right. And, and I, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, and you know, and we all want, we all in this day and time, we want everything to happen immediately. You know, we're instant, 
information, calls, you know, we're, we're, our society drives us that we want everything now. And I think, uh, I think we do have to be patient. And I think we have to be mindful that, that this is where it's going so we can be prepared for, for that part in the future, for the more cognitive type services. And um, unfortunately, we may have to provide those services for a period of time without reimbursement to show that it is something that uh, is actually helping these, these PBMs or insurers uh, so they can see a benefit for it and then start to reimburse us for, for more of that. But, um, you know, I, I do think uh, if the pharmacists that sit back and think that dispensing tablets and telling them to take it with food, if that's the type of pharmacy that, that you want to practice, you're going to be left behind. So, um, you know, we have, we have to, we have to be prepared for it. Nobody likes change. I heard this saying, the only person that likes change is a baby with a wet diaper. Everybody else, <laughs> you know, everybody else is, uh, is not wanting change, but we have to embrace it and, uh, see it as part of what we were trained to do with the clinical parts, uh, from the school. So, um, Anyway, and Jamie, when I when I think back to what you just said, and I think back to being, you know, a child in the '80s, watching my grandfather come back, come out from behind the counter in McGee, Mississippi, and walk with somebody down the aisle to show them what over-the-counter product to take, and sit down with them and talk about other things before before sending them to the doctor, what have you, and really counseling and spending time with that patient. Right. You know, it's. It's, it's where we came from originally, well, right? That's true. Where pharmacists yeah, came yeah, from. Yeah, sure. You know, I don't. I don't think he would have ever been okay just dispensing, and, and that'd be the only. And just at a mad, mad dash, things that probably weren't safe. The numbers that people are having to do these days, but it that to me is just so organically what a pharmacist is and what yeah. they do that it just seems like a natural returning to to where where the profession started anyway. Right. Well, and and I'll I'll tell you. For me, and I had the opportunity to speak to some graduates several years ago, and I explained to them, your goal is to be the pharmacist for that person that walks in the door. You want to be the person that they ask for. You want to be the person that they trust with information that they may not be comfortable with in a lot of venues, because we do get asked all kind of questions about very personal matters, and um, the, the goal is to be the, that person's pharmacist, and the only way you can do that is to know a little bit about the person, a little bit about their disease states. You have to know them, and when you see them outside of the, of the pharmacy, you know, your mind should go, you know, that's so-and-so, and they have diabetes. It's, it's knowing the patient, not just dispensing the tablets. And, that's, and you're right, that's what your grandfather did. And... Um, Today's unfortunate times that you have to dispense so many prescriptions to make a profit that it, it, it squeezes that time down, and that's sad. I, um, I pride myself in talking to my patients and wanting them when they come in or call, they want to talk to me because I'm their pharmacist, and I've helped them deal with X, Y, and Z in the past. So uh, I think it's very important. That you're right. In, in some ways, we go back to to that to where we came from about that interaction with the patient, and um, you know, really, I love my profession when I'm able to love on my patients, and um, I, I think 
we've got to get back to that mindset. And when we do that, the clinical services come easy because we know we're just going to have to document what we talk about, you know. Yeah, I talked to so-and-so about their meds. And, and, you know, we talked about their diabetes. And I called the doctor and said they don't need to be on hydrochlorothiazide anymore or whatever. So uh, I, I, it's going to take some time to get there. And I, I do appreciate the association going to bat for us, for the ones that are members, and for the 2,600 that aren't. So hopefully um, we can get more on board. Because I know with, with increased membership, that gives you more assets to be able to go to the legislature and more time uh, to be able to go to the legislature. So that's exactly it. We're going to, I mean, we are the sixth oldest pharmacist association in the United States. We're older than the board of pharmacy. We were started in the 1870s and we're going to be here advocating for the profession, you know, whether they're a member or not, but just like you said, you know, the more members we have, not only the stronger our voice is that we can go and say, we represent, 2,500 pharmacists in this state, wow, that makes a bigger impact when you talk to these elected officials. But also, we'd have the resources, and, you know, you combine those resources to really be able to target and make a difference because everybody knows everything takes money, right? So, I mean, advocacy definitely does as as well. Um, But what a great profession to advocate for. Uh, You know, one of the most fun things about this and returning to the state is that I still hear from people who knew my grandfather, who know my mother or uncle, and, and tell me how wonderful they are as pharmacists and stories about them. And, you know, that's a, you're in a powerful position to positively impact people on a daily basis. And because pharmacists are so accessible, you have such a good, usually it leave a good taste in people's mouths because you have the time to talk to them. And so, you know, you just have so many strengths that I don't think you're even aware that you need to capitalize on, but if we just organize, we could really make some big changes in this state because you're too powerful a profession to be left behind. Well, awesome. Well, well, look, Brenna, I thank you so much for the work you do. You probably don't get thanked. You probably get, you know, yelled at and, and people get frustrated. And we tend to hear complaints a lot more than we do. But I, I, I appreciate what you do for us, um, lobbying for us and the profession. And I just want to thank you uh, for that. Um, I, I thank you for coming on today. One thing I'm going to ask of you is in the future, when y'all develop that, that literature uh, to kind of teach pharmacists how to interact with legislators, I would love for, for you or who, whoever is kind of the, the, the lead on that to come back and talk to us. And let's talk a little bit about what we can do. Uh, to, to be better stewards of, of the profession in a way that we can uh, interact with our, our legislators and, and make some progress there. So I would love to, at some point, maybe come back and, and, and address just that, that issue about how we um, advocate from, from the pharmacy. So, look, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I appreciate you, you coming on and giving us some insight about, about associations. And um, uh, look, any any time that, uh, that that you have some good information, you know, let me know. I'll be glad to to, to add it on to, uh, to for a podcast. Thank you, Jamie. Or, Thank. Or if there, I'm sorry, I didn't interrupt you. If there's something that you think that that pharmacy needs to talk about, you know, we can we can uh, make that a, an issue too. Well, thank you for that offer. We definitely will take you up on that. It's a great way to 
get in the ear of some of these pharmacists. We'd be happy to, I'd be happy to come back or to bring some people from our government affairs committee sure. back to discuss the advocacy. And I will just put in a plug that MPHA is doing um, our membership drive. We will start accepting memberships for 2020 in December and doing a big push in January. We're hoping to get a great showing so that we can really take on this first year of the session sure. of a, the new legislature strong starting in January. So I'll be out there starting January 8th at the Capitol and uh, advocating for the profession. So thanks for having me. And like I said, the MPHA is always here. Please call us, go to our website, um, and we'd love to, we'd love to talk to you. All right, excellent, excellent. And thank you for listening to Talk Pharmacy to me. And remember, it's always about the patient, so let's always put the patient first. Thanks for listening to Talk Pharmacy to me. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast coming soon.